Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Treasury yields were higher after Jerome Powell said the Fed will remain accommodative and shift to a relaxed approach towards inflation, signaling an era of cheaper mortgages and business loans. We'll take a closer look at market reaction and ask if certain sectors are set to benefit more than others in the U.S. Then we'll turn to China, where there is a tech ETF race that's heating up as asset managers try to develop new China tech funds to capitalize on investors following the hunger for IPOs. We saw the first batch of firms listed on Monday on mainland China's Nasdaq-style Chinex board. Under a revised IPO system, we saw staggering gains there. Contact Medical saw gains of more than a 1,000%. Ningbo KBE saw gains of more than 740%. And adding also to the fervor, Ant Group's recent IPO. So I know a lot of investors have been getting in touch saying they'd like to learn more about how to pass through the ETFs that allow you to bring the China tech sector into your portfolio. So we'll cover that. We're also seeing lots of things in the electric vehicle stock sector with China's Xpeng Motors debuting on the New York Stock Exchange and silver. We often talk about gold, but silver futures have tallied their highest finish in a week recently. So what's up with silver? Love that line. (laughs) On the line now, we have Jack Cousy, Director of Strategy VFS Group. How are you, Jack? Very well, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Well, lots going on. We can't stop talking about the Fed's new approach to managing inflation. Jerome Powell, that the Fed will allow inflation to run hotter than the normal 2% target. Strategists split on how much has actually changed with the central bank's strategy. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on uh, what this means for stocks and bonds. Powell's remarks and the shift in the Fed's stance on inflation. Yeah, I mean, they build it just before as a historic night or a historic morning, depending where you are. Just for your listeners there, it was Jackson Hole. This is kind of like a, a TED conference for central bankers, but this time it was online. And of course, probably the, the most important man in the world at the moment, the Fed Chairman Jerome Powell gave his talk. If I was going to summarise it, I'm going to summarise it in uh, the words of another man. His name is Mohammed El Arian. He's actually the chief economist for Allianz. And yes. He's actually quite an influential and someone that people should listen to. So he tweeted and said, Fed Chairman Powell's remarks include so far a revamp of its monetary policy framework that is consistent with a new normal. It appears to tweak the operational employment targeting, change the inflation targeting, and put greater emphasis on financial stability. So just let's look at two things here, the employment targeting. So the Fed came out yesterday and they basically said they're more worried about high unemployment than low unemployment. So previous to the pandemic, We are worried about having too much people employed because that's an inflationary effect. People start working, they earn wages, they spend money, etc. So the Fed came out and said, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that unemployment is as low as possible. doesn't matter how low it gets. And that's pretty easy to say when you've got 10% unemployed. But it goes to that second point in that tweet by Mohamed Arian, and that was the change in the inflation targeting. So... The Fed has always had, or lately had, for the last decade, a target rate of 2% inflation. And they've only really received or only issued or got to about one6 So they've actually been under that target of 2%. So what they've said here is, 
rather than having a 2% max in inflation, we're going to go for an average of 2%. So if inflation gets out of hand in the next 6, 12, 18, two years, we're going to let that run as long as we come into an average of 2%. And that is a very big break from conventional central bank policy. So what does it tell us? Well, it tells us that they're possibly seeing inflation across the board. And your viewers might be wondering, well, how can we have inflation with such high unemployment and such low economic growth figures? Well, the supply lines are being shattered. Things that we used to get cheap aren't necessarily cheap, and therefore the cost of goods and prices go up. So, you know, a central bank really wants to keep it under control. So it was very historical. It was probably expected, and I think the whole point is what you said just before. It kind of tells the market that interest rates are going to be low for a very long time. The whole point here is, we've got to know, is that a central bank wants to keep prices under control. Price stability is very important to a market because it keeps the consumer in terms of confidence. And I'll give you a perfect example where you don't want price instability. Do you like coffee in the morning, Michelle? I need eight cups, Jack. Mm. I'm going to guess what type of coffee you are. I reckon you're a <laughs> latte girl. Am I right? Yeah, pretty good guess. Okay, so you always want price stability. So when you walk into your cafe and the latte costs three fifty, and tomorrow you go in and it costs three seventy five, and the day after it costs three twenty, and then the day after that costs four twenty five, what you end up doing is you just stop buying that coffee because you, you don't know how much it's going to be. You don't want to ask. So it's very important that you keep stability or price stability in check, and that's what the Fed is trying to do. That's what all central banks around the world are trying to do. But it signaled to the market mm. that interest rates are going to be a lot lower for a lot longer. And we saw that the night before yesterday where the market popped. We saw the Nasdaq was up 1.6. Facebook was up 8%. You know, Salesforce is up 22%. So the market got what it wanted, and, you know, I, I continue to run this theme. I think the market's going to be bullish on the back of this. But, again, unprecedented times. So we could see inflation creep perhaps, you know, 2% for the first time in a long, long time in history. Mm-hmm. So if this is a policy approach that allows the economy to run hotter for longer, isn't inflation kryptonite for bonds? So back to the question, how do you think this is going to affect stocks and bonds? Yeah, it is kryptonite for bonds, but let's just see where inflation is at the moment. I mean, I actually think we're only going to get short-term inflation. I don't think we're going to get long-term inflationary pressures. Just for for people out there, you know, if inflation goes up, the the return you get on, on your bonds isn't as high. So, you know, that's where the kryptonite... I think the stock market took it in stride and the stock market got what it wanted. And the stock market got that we're not going to... We're not going to put interest rates up at any cost, no matter what inflation looks like at this point in time. And the only way really you can counter inflation is by putting interest rates up. And the market was worried about that. So they got that what they wanted. So, you know, the stock market reacted like it. And, and, and bonds did move, but, but not anything crazy. So I think it's a wait and see approach. But certainly for the stocks, for the market, it got what it wanted. Are certain sectors going to benefit more than others given this new change in the Fed's approach? For example, we saw bank stocks rising, tech stocks lagged after Powell's speech. Do you think tech will be less affected than cyclicals or the other way around? I mean, is anything going to stop tech in this environment at this point in time, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. I think the banks, you know, got a bit of a kick on it because, you know, they make money out of higher interest rates if that happens uh, possibly. Mm -hmm. We think, you know, we've got to stop thinking about reacting to this market on, you know, one or two signals or one or two lines from, well, it was more than one or two lines. Mm. I think the playbook 
at the end of the year is the same playbook. Look for high growth stocks, look for areas that are growing and look towards tech as the place to be. And I've been saying that there is no danger at this point in time. And with the stock market in general, you've still got all this free money coming in. You've still got a lot of money on the sidelines and you've still got central banks and governments around the world who want to continue to pop up the stock market. Let's just understand why we want, often people think, well, why do governments want a market that's up? It gives the consumer confidence. If you see the NASDAQ at levels, if you see the S&P at 500 levels, if you see your pension fund, wherever you are in the world, here in Australia, in Singapore, if your pension fund is going up, your retirement is going up, which is index of stock, mm-hmm. you feel more confident about the future. And if you feel more confident about the future, you do what we want all consumers to do, and that is consume. Our economies are driven by consumption. So we often have this, you know, the, the end of world theories come out and say, why are they doing this? Well, they want to make the consumer more confident. So if they feel their retirement funds are going up, mm-hmm. they feel more confident. That's what drives economies. And, you know, that is the playbook. Is it the best playbook they could be doing? Mm. Probably not. But, you know, they've, they've only got certain tools to use. And, you know, a lot of central banks are being criticised a lot around the world. But I'm going to say and give them a pat on the back. I think they've done an exceptional job in an exceptional environment. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we need to understand. All right. We've been listening to you talk about tech, Chinese tech in particular. So we wanted to dive deep into your playbook for passing out value when it comes to Chinese tech ETFs. It seems like there's a big ETF race, fun houses in Hong Kong and mainland China racing to launch ETF products that reflect the performance of their tech giants. So all this amidst trade and security tensions as well. I know you're a fan of tech ETFs. Can you help us understand the factors that you use to decide which ETF or index fund to buy and hold when it comes to China tech funds? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the first thing you want to do is never worry about the cost of the ETF for the time being, right? So often we always go for cost and ETFs are quite cheap to hold in general. I think your viewers out there and listeners out there have to understand, okay, what are you actually looking to track? right? What actually are you looking to get exposure to? And does that ETF give you exposure to it? And you've got to be wary of liquidity. So how much is actually in the ETF? Because if it's low liquidity, you might not be able to get your money out. And are you doubling up by holding two ETFs that kind of hold the, the, the certain things? So they're the first things you want to ask yourself when you're looking at an ETF. What exposure am I actually looking towards? And does that ETF give me that exposure? And the best way to look at it is have a look at the holdings of the ETF. What does it actually own? And the other thing that you want to understand is, you know, concentration risk. So let's talk about, you know, Chinese tech, for an example. You know, you might buy an ETF thinking you're getting a broad-based China tech exposure, yet because Alibaba and Tencent are so large, mm-hmm. your ETF might be, you know, 40% of it exposed to the, only those three companies where you're not getting that broad-based exposure over Ch- uh, China tech. So they're the few things that I would look out for. If you want to know about my favorite Chinese tech ETF that I think, you know, that I've owned and continue to accumulate over a long time, and it's been around for a quite time it's called kweb so it's the china new internet etf and that'll give you a really good broad-based exposure of, of these chinese emerging tech companies so it'll give you your barbers and your 10 cents but it'll also give you your bizoons your billy billies uh, your uqs you know these emerging tech companies in general michelle we are seeing this china tech market just absolutely on fire mm-hmm. and a lot that of that has to do with 
a lot of mainland Chinese money coming in now and getting access to it, particularly through the star market list. You're also seeing a repatriation of these companies away from the US back to Hong Kong um, and the star market. And, and there's no other bigger example than you know, Ant Financial, which is going to be the largest IPO ever in history and will not list on a U.S. exchange. So the only way that Americans will be able to buy it is mm. to buy it on a Hong Kong market. And that is historic. You know, that, that is absolutely historic that that is not listing on the biggest capital markets exchange in the world. Mm. So uh, what I'll say to, to listeners here is there are plenty of good ETFs that track China right now. The MSCI has got a couple of great ones. you find the big ones. So don't be... Don't feel this is a new thing. There are plenty that are being around with enormous liquidity. Have a look around there first before you chase the ones that are chasing, I guess, you know, the, the big trend at this point in time. So in terms of where I see this going, there's still an enormous amount of money that is left on the sideline that hasn't invested in Chinese tech and is realizing that it is good, if not better, than some U.S. tech. And what viewers or listeners have to understand particularly those that are not from the Asian belt or don't understand it, is that for every single U.S. tech company that you have that is doing great things, there is a Chinese counterpart mm. that's doing as good of things as they are. So I expect this sector to drive. I expect Baba and Tencent to be China's first trillion dollars companies, and I expect them to do that within the next 12 to 18 months. And I still expect these emerging tech giants to come through. You know, Xiao means the SMICs, these companies with great bases and great tech. When it comes to the AMT IPO, Jack, were you looking at the prospectus or were you looking at indirect ways to enter that in any way? Yeah, I'm doing everything I can, robbing Peter and Paul, <laughs> selling AMT to get a piece of that prospectus, only because we're talking about, and let's just talk about AMT financial. Yeah. You're talking about the second or third largest mobile payments company in the, in, in the world. Right. You're talking about, you know, China just alone, which generates in excess of $18 trillion in mobile payments a year. I'll say that to your viewers again. $18 trillion of mobile payments a year and growing. And there are only two companies that have access to this. And that is Ant Financial through Alibaba, which owns 30%, and Tencent through WePay. And, you know, I, can't, I, I walk around here in Sydney and, you know, when you travel Asia, you start to see, you know, Alipay everywhere you go, right? Mm. Everywhere. You start to see Alipay. So that is just growing, and I want a piece of this. Um, so, yes, I will be looking to, to jump on the prospectus. It's going to be very difficult because it's going to be probably one of the hottest stocks we've ever seen um, in terms of gain. So, yeah, I will be looking for it, and hopefully I can get myself a piece of my clients at least. So the documents filed to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange didn't mention a price range of new shares uh, or the expected date of the IPO. Uh, is, are you looking at a range to get in? I haven't had a look at the complete perspective mm. at this point. A lot of, you know, a lot of theatrics and movie theatres, you know, to try to build up the anticipation of it. You know, I've heard anything in excess of $200 billion, mm. but... You know, I, to be honest with you, I'd probably have to do a little more due diligence, but it'll be interesting to see where they price it. But what I can tell you is that, you know, unless they price it stupidly, this will be oversubscribed. 
All right, Jack. Let's turn to the electric vehicle sector. Seems like that's heating up to various China-based EV startups. Seeing this as a good time to raise public funding, just yesterday, Xpeng Motors made its debut on the New York Stock Exchange. And before that, Xpeng's IPO sold more shares than planned, with shares pricing above earlier forecasts. Rival Neo continuing to see a surge in stocks. When you look at the EV sector, what do you make of uh, Xpeng versus Neo? Oh, Michelle, where do I start? I mean, it was up 54% last night, if anyone um, doesn't know, on its debut. So it was bought up right through the open. I, I don't know what to make of this sector anymore. This feels like a bubble. It, it, it definitely feels like a bubble. You've got Xpeng, you've got Neo, you've got Workhorse, you've got Nikola, you've got Tesla. Mm. I mean, I've been a Tesla for a long time. Really? 10 it, years? You'd be 7%, 7, percent up. Yeah, I mean, two or three. And I've okay. got to say, you know, when does this stop? How much actually demand is there for electric vehicles? And, you know, when I look at the Neos, the Xpengs, the Nikolas and the Workhorses, mm. There's some issues here. There's some demand issues here. You know, let's just put Tesla aside. Where is all the demand for these electric vehicles? I can see it coming in five to ten years, and I can see that we're moving towards the EV market. But that is a big issue. And then I, I worry about the tech. I worry about the battery. Is it as good as they say it is? Can they produce it on mass? You know, we're talking about companies that actually don't make anything at this point in time, or some of them don't, or are talking about future historical. So... This feels like a bubble. It really, really feels like a bubble. And I I caution investors out there um, about buying things like this without doing their due diligence. Now, this thing might rally for a long time, Mm. but I I worry about when companies like this with really no base case to what they're doing or no proven tech. You know, Nikola is a perfect example out of the U.S., you know, using the hydrogen. I mean, it's not proven. And, and nothing's been produced. We can't even see a working model. Xpeng is, is a perfect example. I mean, Neo's a bit more advanced than them, but this all seems very, very sketchy and etchy. And it's just this environment that we're in where you know people are flooding in, not wanting to miss the boat and hoping to find the next Tesla. Mm. Let's just remember, Tesla around now for 10 years, they have a working car that is on the road. They have a battery that is beyond any other battery that's ever seen. Now, this is this is this is what I say to people. This is how hard an electric vehicle is. BMW doesn't have an electric vehicle. Mm. Mercedes doesn't have an electric vehicle. Volkswagen don't have an electric vehicle. I mean, can you buy a Volkswagen electric? I mean, they've been saying it for a long time, but you can't actually buy one, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not working models. These are car companies. Sure, they haven't been the greatest companies in the world, but are in the industry somewhat. So it's very difficult to emulate what Tesla does. I'm sure some of these Chinese companies will get a handle of it, but do they deserve the valuation that they deserve right now? Uh, uh, It worries me a little bit. Very clear points there. What do you think about silver, your silver price forecast? It's been taking off, hasn't it? Asking the wrong guy about gold. Every time you ask me about gold and silver, I reply with the same thing. I have been wrong about these things for a long time. I'll tell you an interesting story, right? So my nephew Hmm. is 24 years old. He's uh, just finishing university. He's managed to save a sum up uh, a little bit of his money. I said, what are you going to do with your money? He's like, I don't know. I said, why don't you buy a property? You know, get yourself a loan, buy a nice little one-bedroom property. It's a nice little asset for you to own at this point in time. You're working now. You've got a chance. 
Mm, I've been hearing a lot about silver. I'm thinking about buying silver futures or a silver block of silver metal. And I was like, what do you know about silver? Now, I thought this has got to be the top of the market. And this is a couple of weeks, and then obviously silver's come off, but it's come rally. I, I said this to you. I said this to you a couple of weeks ago. I hope silver doesn't rally three to four hundred percent. You know, I hope gold doesn't rally three and a half to four thousand. I think what we're seeing is a general knowledge by people that they have to have some type of shiny commodity in their portfolio, and people are realizing that, mm. and that's why we're upticking gold and silver. I think there'll be consistent buying, um, but again, I'll reiterate my thoughts. I think you know, gold and silver will, will be within a 10 to 15% of this range at this point in time as we get to get, get more economic assurity. But you know, silver is, is an industrial commodity, and we often forget that the historical value that silver was you know, money you know, not, not too long ago. So probably the wrong person to ask. But I Didn't still you do a whole up. show on your YouTube channel, Jack, on silver, I which did. is why I'm asking? Well, well, I interviewed him. <laughs> He's the silver guru. So if you ask him, name's David Morgan, he thinks silver's going to $300. Um, and I asked him on the show, I said, what does that mean for the financial system? Mm. And he complete collapse of the financial system. But I'm not as bullish as David Morgan is on that. Um, I was the one asking the questions then, Sean. It was the other way around. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see where And you didn't goes, change your mind, clearly, in terms of the place of silver no, in your portfolio. No. <laughs> you know, the one thing that people should look at is a, is a gold-to-silver ratio, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of historically that works really well. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you listen to what David Morgan, and I encourage people to look him up, he's called the Silver Guru. You know, he talks about silver adjusted for inflation, which can be a lot, a lot higher than it is right now. I think the trend here is sure money is cheap, but I just think, you know, everyday people are realizing that part of their portfolio should have an allocation to gold and silver. And I think we're seeing that with cryptocurrency as well. You know, you want to have a little bit of an allocation to, you know, a Bitcoin, which gives you a diversified portfolio. And that's where I see some of the charge into these into these metals. All right. Well, thanks as always. Lovely speaking with you, Jack. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you to everybody out there. Stay safe and I'll see you uh, next month. I'll speak to you next month. Absolutely. Jack Cousy, Director of Strategy at VFS Group. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.